Hey folks, I'm Nicole Gilbert, and you've joined the Stop Scrolling and Start Sewing podcast. Are you new to sewing and want to start quilting but have no idea where to begin? Each Wednesday, join me as I share the ins and outs of that quilt life. If you don't have a sewing machine, have no idea how much fabric you need, or you're just trying to figure out where the heck to stick that bobbin, this is the podcast for you. Hey folks, I'm your host, Nicole Gilbert, and on today's episode of the Stop Scrolling, Start Sewing podcast, I'm going to help you take that old sewing machine that you found in your grandmother's attic or at the neighborhood garage sale and make it your favorite quilting workhorse. But first, today's sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by my Quilting Setup Made Easy Checklist. Get my no-fluff guide to everything you need to start quilting at themodernquiltercircle.com slash quilting setup. All one word. Okay, folks, let's get sewing. I love me a sewing machine from the 50s and 60s. Avocado green weighs 500 pounds and has like five settings. But dang, that thing is a beast. Treat it right and it will outlast you. Seriously. That thing is going to be a hand-me-down. They're so good. Today, I'm going to walk you through where and how to buy one, cleaning and tuning it up, and where to get a manual and the accessories you'll need. First up is finding one. If you've already been gifted one, lucky you, hold tight, there is plenty of value coming your way a little bit later in this episode. For those of you who are still on the hunt, I suggest checking Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace, your local garage sales, in a post-COVID world of course, and writing up your own Facebook post looking for one. When you're going out and um, viewing these machines, make sure that you're looking for models that come with a foot pedal, an electric cord, manual, and accessories. Now, the manual and the accessories are kind of a nice to have, but absolutely not a deal breaker if it doesn't have them. I mean, honestly, I think I just did a Facebook Live over on the Modern Quilter Circle Facebook page, and I was talking about how I lost one of the presser feet. Like, it happens. So, a a machine that's 60, 70 years old, yeah, I doubt it's going to have all the accessories, but you should always ask. What is an absolute non-negotiable, 100% deal breaker every time is if it does not have its electrical cord or foot pedal. Those are things that are not replaceable. So if it doesn't have a foot pedal and it doesn't have the electrical cord, don't buy it. I'm sure somewhere in the world there's a replacement cord, but it is not going to be easy to find and it is probably going to kill the deal that you just made on buying the sewing machine for 40 bucks because it's not going to be cheap. So just don't do it. Um, And also the other thing I want you to look for when you're looking for these machines is finding a model with snap-on presser feet. I know I've talked about this in past episodes, um, but a snap-on presser foot is going to be so much more inexpensive to replace. Now, I just mentioned 
it's probably not going to have all of its accessories, meaning you're going to have to buy more presser feet. So much easier if they're just snap-ons because those things are practically universal. So just keep that in mind. The ones that have screw-on presser feet, it's going to be a lot harder, read, more expensive to replace those presser feet. So please keep that in mind. I've spoken about sewing machine brands in the past on episode two. So the modern com slash episode dash two. I kind of gave a lowdown of all of the things in regards to sewing machines. And honestly, most of those brands are the brands I want you to look for in 60 or 70 year old machines. Bernina, Genome, Faf, Singer. Yes, I recommend Singer for a machine of that age. Those things are beasts. Go for it. Also, Sears and Kenmore, great, great machines. Little known fact, in that era, a Kenmore zigzag, a Sears zigzag, and a Singer zigzag are all the exact same machine, and they're pretty bomb. So keep an eye out for those brands. Brother does make them, but at that time period, you're more likely to find an industrial brother than you are to find a domestic. So I don't know if you're like one of those people who are just like super brand loyal. It might not work for you if you're trying to find a brother of that time period. But otherwise, all of those brands are great ones to look for. So... Now you've kind of kept, you're keeping your eyes peeled. If you're anything like me, you stalk Facebook Marketplace all the time and you know where all of these are. Believe me, I've got my eye on quite a few when we're allowed to, to go travel and, and look at these things because they're just, they're so good. Um, once you get it home, you're going to have to give it a tune-up. It's like anything. Can you imagine if you hadn't driven your car in like three months the reason why I know like how bad that could be is my husband is in the military and he deploys. And one of his deployments, I did not drive his car for four months. And I know that I was supposed to take his car to the grocery store. That was like my promise to myself. If I drove his car, every time I went to the grocery store, his car would get driven once a week, once every two weeks or so. But I didn't do it. So then once it came time for him to come home, his car wouldn't start. And so it ended up being like a battery issue. It was like a whole thing. But the same principles apply here with the sewing machine. So you're going to have to give it a little bit of a tune-up, a little bit of a love, but it's really nine times out of 10. And I, you know, there's always that one time, you know, there's always one time, but nine times out of 10, a good cleaning is all it's going to need because these things are built wonderfully. So in order to do a tune-up, the materials that you're going to need is you're going to need Q-tips, tweezers, sewing machine oil, and that compressed air can that you use to clean in between the keys of your keyboard on your computer, one of those. Um, for sewing machine oil, you need to get specifically sewing machine oil. I know you can probably Google and find alternatives because there's like alternatives to everything. But the fact that when I did it, 
looking it up for this this episode, one of the things came up was coconut oil. And I was like, okay, I understand coconut oil is supposed to be like magical, but it's not going to do it for your sewing machine. So please just get sewing machine oil. You can legit get it at Walmart, Hobby Lobby, Joann's, Amazon, you name it. They got it. And it's like super inexpensive. It's only a couple of bucks. So get it. It's white mineral oil and it's got no scent. It's got no color. It's very, very particular. So what you're going to do is you are going to remove the needle plate. Now in these old machines, it's, I mean, no two machines work the same way. So if I gave you like a blanket thing, like this is how you're going to do it, I'd be lying to you because it's, it, they're just not all the same. Um, so you're going to remove the needle plate. When you look at your needle, the area of the sewing machine right underneath it, there will be a metal square. And nine times out of 10, there will be measurement markings on that, on that, that piece. That's your needle plate. There will also be screws. You're just going to take a screwdriver, unscrew those screws, and pop that needle plate right off. And you're going to see whatever is inside. If this is a machine that was lovingly used over the last 60 years and just getting passed on to you, it's probably clean in there. If it is a machine that has been heavily used but not well taken care of, it's going to be full of dust and junk. Lots and lots of lint. Um, And then, I mean, if it's been sitting, who knows what's in there. But anyway, you're going to have to clean it. I suggest taking your can of compressed air with that long, skinny straw on the end, sticking the straw inside and just spraying around in there. That will get a lot of the stuff moving and up and out. I start there because that gets like most of the loose debris out. Then what I want you to do is I want you to take your tweezers and pluck out any lint that is, for lack of a better word, dreadlocked together. Is that I feel like I gave you a visual and that's all you really needed. So um, any of the lint that has managed to like dreadlock itself in there, use the tweezers to get it out. Then you're going to take your Q-tip and you're going to dry rub all of the mechanisms inside. I also suggest doing the same thing with the bobbin case. Now, Some of your machines will be drop-in bobbin cases, which means that it's a fixed case and it is right next to your needle plate. So when you took your needle plate off, there may have been a little door that you moved where your bobbin would drop in. So that area is pretty much clean now because it would have gotten all cleaned together with what you just did in the needle plate area. If you have a bobbin that is front inserted or rear inserted, meaning it's in the base of the sewing machine. You have to like remove a compartment door, take the bobbin case out, you put your bobbin in this little metal case and then you insert it back into the machine, which is pretty common in the older machines. Um, You're gonna have to also clean that area as well. And I suggest doing all of the exact same things. So compressed air from the can, tweezers to get anything that's been dreadlocked and gunked up in there, and then a dry Q-tip to wipe it all down. 
Once that's done, leave everything open. So all the mechanics are open. Make sure there's no needle inserted. Hold on to your flywheel, which if you're unfamiliar, it is that large dial on the side of your machine, on the right-hand side of your machine, and turn it towards you. So if you're looking at it, it's counterclockwise. If you're sitting at the machine, it's just turning it towards you. And turn it slowly. As you turn it slowly, look inside under the needle and in the bobbin case and look at all the pieces that move. That is what you're going to put the sewing machine oil on. If it's metal and it moves, you're going to oil it. And a little bit of oil goes a very long way. And guess what? This is a routine I want you to do monthly if you're a heavy sewer, bi-monthly if you're a moderate sewer, and semi-annually if you're a here and there sewer. But as you can see, you're going to be doing this little routine frequently, and the more frequently you do it, the less yucky it's going to be, and the smoother your machine is going to work. Now again, this will work 90% of the time. There's always that one, that one machine that has just lived a rough life, so keep that in mind. Now, you've kind of gotten yourself a little bit familiar with machine when, you know, you're taking your needle plate off, you're opening your bobbin case, you're poking around, you're cleaning. You're kind of getting familiar. You're you're in it with your machine, but you probably still need a manual. It's amazing how foreign these machines can feel even though they've got like five settings. It's like tension, three stitches, and that's it. Um, but they do feel foreign. They feel very different, especially if you've used an entry-level brother or singer, or if you have a high-end machine like a high-end genome or FAF machine, which is like like little computers. So it's gonna, it's just gonna feel different. It's gonna be feel weird. A lot of things aren't going to be intuitive. Um, so you're gonna want a manual. Obviously, I said if you're buying this secondhand and if you can get the manual, that's wonderful, but don't you worry because there is a website called sewingmanuals.com and you can find a ton of vintage sewing machine manuals in digital format on that website. I'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, you can find the show notes at themodernquiltercircle.com slash episode dash five. So I will have that available for you, that link. Now, they don't have every single model ever made because that would be ridiculous. The person is obviously a machinophile, but that doesn't make him like omniscient as well. So if you don't find your model, don't worry. Um, try looking for another model of the same era by the same manufacturer. And there are pictures on the covers of these models, of these manuals, of all the different models. So just kind of click through until you find a model that looks very similar to yours. It's not a perfect solution, um, but it's definitely better than having no idea what's going on and for the most part, a lot of the mechanics are going to work the same. So just kind of keep that in mind. 
Okay, guys, now it's time to outfit your sewing machine. I suggest getting a universal presser foot kit. Um, This is why a snap-on foot is so important to look for when you're purchasing your machine. A snap-on foot fits any snap-on machine 90% of the time. I mean, there's always that one outlier, but it's really a game changer. When you can purchase a brand new universal kit, it is so much easier than trying to hunt for a specific presser foot for a specific machine that hasn't been in production for over 50 years. It's going to be difficult to find and it's going to be super expensive. So definitely keep that in mind. I actually have found a pretty good kit of 15 universal snap-on sewing machine sewing machine presser feet that included a walking foot, quarter inch seam, like you name it, it had it. And I want to say it was like 25 or 30 bucks. I will link to it in the show notes of this episode so that you're able to head over there and check it out. Um, the show notes are at themodernquiltercircle.com slash episode dash five. So I will have that resource for you. Now, if you don't want to get a complete kit, um, I suggest buying a walking foot and a quarter inch presser foot. And you can get that quarter inch presser foot either with or without the edge guide. Um, some presser feet are just not going to be useful for your older machines. You know, um, if you want to do buttonholes, you're probably going to have to use a different machine or hand stitch that buttonhole. It just doesn't have the functionality for it. So you don't need a buttonhole foot. Same thing goes with free motion quilting. For a lot of these machines, you can drop the feed dogs, but for a lot of them, you can't. So even though you would love to free motion quilt, you probably won't be able to do it with your machine. So kind of keep that in mind. Think of those kind of things because this is an era where some of these options are right on the cusp. So you can find some higher end machines that do some of these things, but for the most part, it's not going to have the ability. Um, I also want you to get a non-skid mat. Now, a non-skid mat is for all of you that buy a machine that doesn't come with a table. I know when you think of a sewing machine and a table, you have an idea in your head of those like old school Singer machines, but sewing machines came in tables all the way through the 70s. So a lot of these machines will come in a table and you can tell a machine that's supposed to be in a table because it's got this like funky kind of base. And quite frankly, a lot of them can't be used outside of a table. So keep that in mind as well if you don't want to keep the table when you're when you're searching. Um, but anyway, back to the non-skid mat. A non-skid mat is pretty thin but it's ever so slightly cushioned. And what it does does is these heavy machines have such powerful motors and they're made of metal. And when they really get humming and going, there's a loud vibration sound. And if when you have it on a hard surface, it sounds like a B-52 is coming to land in your backyard. And so by putting this non-skid mat under there, Yes, it's keeping it from skidding, but in reality, what it's doing is it's dampening a lot of that sound. So it is crucial if you're going to be using this. Side note, for those of you using a brand new entry-level machine, like a brother or singer that you get at um, your local box store, those ones have motors in them 
that, um, so what makes these old machines great is that they have these metal casings, these big, heavy metal bodies that are just never going to break. Everything is just like really solidly made. These newer machines have these, these motors in them, which while they're still not as great of a motors, they're still, they're still doing some work, but now they're in these plastic cases. And because of that, it creates a lot of rattling. So a non-skid mat is a great way to help with that loud sound that you're getting from these entry-level machines as well. So if you don't have one of these vintage machines, but you have one of those entry-level machines, I still recommend getting a non-skid mat. It might be just the difference you need to keep loving your machine for just a little while longer. So that's my little blurb on the non-skid mat. Next up is an LED light. Um, now I use an OTT light, O-T-T-L-I-T-E, and I am absolutely obsessed with it. It is blindingly bright. I will say it is an investment. They're not cheap, and I actually purchased mine on Black Friday at Joann's. Joann's is my favorite place to go on Black Friday. It's the only place I go on Black Friday, and my husband comes with me, and we act like crazy people, and I am not ashamed to admit it. But that is another story for another episode. Back to the story at hand, Ot lights can be a bit of an investment. I don't suggest getting a stand-up ot light. I don't really see the use for it, but that's also because I'm a quilter. If you're a seamstress and you're using a tailor's mannequin, maybe a stand-up ot light is exactly what you need. I use a desktop ot light, and my ot light has two arms. One of the arms has the really bright light, and the other arm has a giant magnifying glass. And I know it's so funny. It's, I mean, it is, it is what it is. It's pretty hilarious looking, but I love it because what I do is I set up my ot light just off to the side of my machine and I bend one arm down the arm with the light behind my machine so that it's shining on the creative space and needle plate area. And then I bend the arm with the magnifying glass in front of the machine so that it's positioned right in front of the needle. And it creates such a delightful sewing environment. It's bright, it's clear, it's enlarged, it's wonderful. I love it. If you have the extra to invest in that, please do. I suggest it. I think you will love it. I will put a link to the model that I have in the show notes, but it is, it is an investment and it also takes special bulbs. So it's not like you're going to be able to just replace the bulbs with the bulbs at Home Depot. You're going to have to get an Ot light bulb. So another thing to keep in mind. Now, if you don't want to invest in an Ot light, I suggest getting an LED strip. And so these strip lights are very similar to like rope lights that you would like decorate a teenage girl's bedroom with, but they're about four to six inches long and they're adhesive. And so you just take it and like a sticker, you put it up on the throat, like the roof of the creative space on the underside of the arm, and it will do a fantastic job lighting up that area. The reason why you want lights, I kind of got ahead of myself, but the reason why you want lights is that like nowadays, and I mean, even still I use one, so there's that. But nowadays, a lot of these machines come with 
really nice LED lights um, built into the creative space. And every machine comes with some sort of light. In these throwback machines, some of them will have lights, but none of them will be LED lights and most of them won't be lit at all. And having a light there is crucial. Even when you're sewing in the middle of the day, in the brightest room of your house, having that light in your creative space will be a huge game changer for both the actual sewing and straightness of your seams, as well as your eye health, because eye strain is real when you're sewing, especially if you're like me and you sit down to just sew something real quick and five hours passes, because that's what I do. So that is my thing with LED lights. Now, the next two things, I would box them in the nice to have. Some of your machines are going to have this capability anyway, so you don't even have to think about it if the machine that you get has these capabilities. But if it doesn't have the capabilities, I can definitely say there might be something that you want to invest in. One is a needle threader, and it is just like a little tool, like a little gizmo that you run your thread through, hold it up to the needle, and when you squeeze it a certain way, it threads the needle for you. It's awesome. I personally, you know, all of my machines have needle threaders on them. You're going to find some machines from this era that have needle threaders on them. But if your eyes aren't the greatest or you just really don't have the steadiest hand, you might want to invest in a needle threader. Likewise, a bobbin winder. This one is a little bit closer on a scale from nice to have to absolute must. It's a little closer to the must side, if you ask me. Again, some of the machines will be able to wind bobbins for you. But for about 15, 20 bucks, you can get a bobbin winder at Hobby Lobby and winding bobbin sucks. And if you don't wind it right, you can end up with a big bird's nest of thread. So I kind of put this a little bit more in the must category, but again, if it's not something that you want to invest in and you want to do it by hand, by all means, go for it. You're my hero. I don't personally wind bobbins because I suck at it. So there's that. So at this point, you should be all set with actually getting the machine ready to go. Two other things that are accessories that you're going to need and you're going to, they're kind of going to be constant investments. So it's not necessarily something that you need to get the, the machine to work, but you're always going to be using them are needles and bobbins. Now, I would say 95% of the time, you're not going to get any accessories with these machines, but there probably is going to be a bobbin in the case and a needle in place simply because the last person that used this said it and they had no idea that was going to be the last time they ever used that machine. And so there's a bobbin and a needle in there, which is a huge help. Just take that bobbin, take it to the store, line it up, and pick out which bobbin you're supposed to get. Now, bobbins are not universal. However, there's only a handful of types out there. And so it should be a pretty quick matchup if it came with a bobbin. If it didn't come with a bobbin, you're gonna have to invest a few bucks, legitimately like less than 10 bucks, buy a few different bobbins and see which one works. And then you're all set from there on 
you just use that type of bobbin. For needles, you really, I mean, every machine pretty much takes every size needle. The big thing is whether or not your needle is going to have a flat back or if it's round. Spoiler alert. I have used the wrong type of needle in my machine before. Guess what? It worked fine. So don't be too stressed out about it. It's not a big deal. But again, if it's already in the machine, just pull it out, see if it's got a flat back, and now you know. So all of these little tips and tricks will work with pretty much any machine that's just been sitting around collecting dust. It won't work for a machine that's been through some trauma. So flooded basements, chewed cords, I mean... Some things are just insurmountable. I don't care how well made something is, you know? But this episode was peppered with some awesome little resources. And if you were driving or you were chasing after kids like I usually am when I'm listening to podcasts, don't worry. I have put links to everything in the show notes. So head on over to the modernquiltercircle.com slash episode dash five. I've got you covered. Don't worry. And you've just finished another episode of the Stop Scrolling, Start Sewing podcast. Thanks for hanging out with me. Make sure you never miss an episode by hitting subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to download your no-fluff guide to quilting setup at themodernquiltercircle.com slash quilting setup. Now stop scrolling and start sewing.